0: right now Uh, most of you are ready to go for the door uh, because the music and the voice of Robert Strack has just made you unable to sleep for the rest of the week I I know I know I I was there Uh, Sunday nights uh, that was what we would do we would go to church we would get home in time uh, to watch Charles Stanley and then right after Charles Stanley at eight o'clock we would flip it over to uh, I don't remember if it was NBC or CBS whoever used to show and we would have that do, 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 uh, and Robert Strack's voice would come on and tell us all about these unsolved mysteries. Now, as an as eight, nine, 10-year-old, that meant that I wasn't going to bed until like 10.30, 11 o'clock, because I, after watching this, all I could think was, I'm gonna be one of these unsolved mysteries. I, I'm gonna see this show in like four years, and it's gonna be a story about me because I'm gonna be in Colorado somewhere living in somebody's basement because I've been kidnapped, because it was always somebody disappearing, right? Now, there are a few of those you can go back and watch and say, okay, two friends disappear under odd circumstances that follows the novel that one was writing about the other. I'm pretty sure I can solve that mystery. Crop circle. There were a lot of things that were kind of made up, right? We can go back now, it's 2018, we're a lot smarter now than we were in 1990 or whenever uh, the unsolved mystery started coming on, So, so we're a lot smarter now, so we can figure these out on our own, correct? Well, if we could, then Inquirer, Star, Telegram, all these things would just go out of business. These mysteries remained unsolved, so to speak, because there was not enough evidence to put their finger on what made them solvable. But we have a similar unsolved mystery that God solves for us that has been looming since the days of Abraham. In Ephesians chapter 3, we're going to be looking, as we continue in our study of the book of Ephesians, we're going to be looking at how God solves a particular mystery. Now, I know you're wondering, well, what's the unsolved mystery that God's solving? One of the promises that was made... And the promise that resounds through all of the Old Testament is how God would bless all nations through Abraham. How was God going to do this? Now, if you'll remember, as we've been walking through the book of Ephesians together, if you've not been here with us, you can go to our website and catch up, or let me give you just a quick uh, synopsis of, of what we're doing here. God chose before the foundation of the world to bless us. How did he choose to bless us? By sending his son Jesus Christ as the atonement for our sins and through our faith in him, God would adopt us into his family. So we are no longer strangers, we're no longer foreigners, we're no longer absent of the promise of God. We've been brought into his family where we can sit at his table. Well, how would he do that? It's only through Christ Jesus and Paul brings us into this mystery once again. Time and time again, Again, in in chapter three, in the first 13 verses, Paul's gonna refer to a mystery. It's a mystery of peace. It's a mystery of reconciliation. It's a mystery of how God, almighty God, the creator God could reach through history into your life today to make you one of his. So if you found your place in Ephesians chapter 3, let me invite you to read along with me as we look at the first 13 verses of this chapter. And Paul writes this, saying, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief, By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the spirit. To be specific concerning this mystery, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. To me, the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things. So that, The manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose, which he carried out in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. Therefore, I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf, for these are for your glory. Let's pray together. God, we ask that you, in your power and in your manifold wisdom, would put your hand on us right now. Give us insight to the mystery of Christ. If we are in Christ already, if we have already trusted you for salvation Lord we pray that you would use this time as a reminder of how wonderful is the gospel and how needy is the world around us for this gospel Lord if we do not know you if there's anyone here this morning Lord and I'm convinced there are uh, men and women that young men young women here that have never trusted you for salvation Lord that today would be the day that you show them that they have access to you in one way and one way only through the gospel of Jesus Christ that today would be the day that they come to faith Lord encourage us encourage our hearts send us from here ready ready and equipped to serve to serve you to serve our community to demonstrate the power of the gospel. Lord, we love you and we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. So we get in this passage of scripture and, and Paul is, is reiterating some things that we've talked about in the last couple of weeks in chapter two. But, but here's where Paul's going. Paul's kind of chasing a little bit of a rabbit trail in verses 2 through 13. See, he starts off in verse 1, says, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. And then he starts talking about why. In case you didn't know, just so you know, I'm talking to those of you that have come to faith in Christ, because this is who he has made you. And then he picks back up with this thought in verse 14, where he says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. See, Paul's getting ready to pray uh, in this letter for the church in Ephesus. He's getting ready to launch into a prayer, but he starts remembering how wonderful this good news of salvation and peace and unity. He's starting to remember how wonderful it is that God has accomplished this in the lives of believers all across Asia Minor at that time, specifically in Asia uh, in, in Ephesus. And today in 2018, we can rejoice with Paul at what God has shown him and we can get caught up in his elation over the power of the gospel. Because why? Because God has revealed this mystery to us. God has revealed something powerful. He says in this passage of scripture, I, Paul, am a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and I'm doing this for the sake of you Gentiles. He's taken himself as one who's not just seen Christ, not just heard Christ, but one who has been given a specific task to proclaim Christ. He calls himself a prisoner. He's one who is in chains. We believe that as Paul is writing this letter to the church in Ephesus, that he's in his first imprisonment in Rome, his first Roman imprisonment, which we believe is the time before um, when Paul, was writing a lot of letters to a lot of the churches and what he's doing is why he's writing and why he's in prison is because he's been proclaiming the gospel. He's been telling people about this Jesus and the Jews didn't really like it. You can follow Paul's uh, journeys through the book of Acts and we get into the book of Acts and uh, after he's gone to Ephesus and he's made that second encounter with some elders in the church of Ephesus in Acts chapter 20, he makes his way back to Jerusalem where he's arrested for proclaiming Jesus. He, he's, he's thrown in jail and he makes, a, he makes a claim that I'm actually a Roman citizen so the Jewish court has no authority over me so I need to go see Caesar. Okay, well, to seize your go Because Paul had, had something in mind. It wasn't that, hey, I just need to get myself arrested. It was, I need to get to the place where the gospel can travel the furthest. I need to get to the center of this society, the center of this world, in order that I can encourage other believers and all these state roads that Rome's been paving all over the place, I'm gonna use them to have people go out with the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you could get it to Rome, you could get it to the ends of the earth. Do you realize we live in a similar situation right now? I'm not asking anybody to go get arrested this week. Uh, the, the, the court system works a little different now than it did in Paul's day. But you realize that within 10 minutes of this property right here, we can reach every corner of the world? We can reach every corner of America because we've got these nice Eisenhower interstates out there where we can travel wherever we need to go. But we've got this massive thing called the Atlanta airport, just right up the road. If you've never been by it, I'm not sure how you could have not gone by it. There's are some places you can go under it, right there on 285 You can go right under it. My kids think it's the greatest thing in the world that a plane can land on your head right there. You have opportunity, we have opportunity to engage the world just like Paul was seeking to do. See, Paul knew that God had revealed something. This mystery had been revealed. It was no longer unsolved. How would God bless all of the nations through Abraham? Because after all, didn't he just choose Abraham? And didn't he just choose the Jews? And weren't the Jews this, this, this ethnic people group that would, that would rule the world one day? Wasn't it all about the Jews? And wasn't it all about Israel? Wasn't it all about Abraham? No, remember God's promise to Abraham, Genesis chapter 15. Through you will all the nations of the world be blessed. Through you, Abraham, through your line, through your people. So so throughout the entire Old Testament, this is why the Jews were continuing to look for their Messiah. Who's gonna be that king, that ruler, that's gonna give us the authority and who's gonna establish this kingdom of peace all over? And they were looking for this political power. They were looking for that next that next, uh, that next, person to vote for. They were looking for that next politician, that next person that just looked like they might be presidential, that person that looked like they might be a uh, uh, Senate majority leader, that person that might be the next one to establish this reign that would be for the Jews first and in doing so they missed what god showed them see what paul shows is that all of this was about the how god revealed made known his mystery he goes on to say excuse me in verse five in other generations it was not made known to the sons of man it wasn't that god was hiding it was that people did not know the fullness of time man it would have been really really cool man it, Let's just put it as humans would put it, okay? Because we like to see things linearly. We like to see things in sequence of pattern. It would have been a whole lot easier if God would have just told Abraham all the way back in Genesis chapter 15. Okay, Abraham, here's the deal. This is gonna be your lamb. I'm gonna bless all people through you you're going to go and you're going to be in bondage and servitude in Egypt, but then I'm going to raise up this one guy, Moses, and he's going to come rescue But He's not the one you're waiting for. He's going to bring your people back and I'm going to give them this land. And they're going to turn their hearts from me. So some of them are going to have to die out here in the wilderness, but the ones that are faithful or younger, I'm going to let them get in here. And from there, you're going to have David. He's going to be a really, really good king, but he's not going to be the one you're waiting for. And then you're going to have this series of prophets that come and you're going to turn from me and you're going to go back into this exile in Babylon, but then I'm going to bring you back. Don't worry, I'm going to bring you back because you're my people and you're going to wait for 400 years and then there's going to be this little girl named Mary and Mary's going to have a baby and that baby's the one you're waiting for. Just guess what? His name's going to be Jesus and he's going to be handed over to Pontius Pilate and Caiaphas, the high priest, is going to turn, turn him over and they're going to crucify him on, on, this, on this Passover. You don't know what the Passover is yet, Abraham, because we haven't gotten to Moses, remember him, but look for Jesus and when this all happens, you're going to know that I have promised you salvation and then we could say you know what look God said it right there in Genesis 15 wait for Jesus and that would have been easy right it's kind of like if you're driving down interstate 85 down here you look for everybody else's brake lights to know if there's a a patrolman on the road right you see everybody else's brake lights somebody somebody's about to get pulled over and it's not going to be me today so you're looking for those signs and you, you know what to look for If God would have just said in Genesis 15, it's gonna be about 1,500 years, Abraham, but there's gonna be a baby born in Bethlehem and his name's gonna be Jesus, his father's Joseph, a carpenter, his mother's gonna be this little girl named Mary and all you gotta do is just wait for that and when that kid comes and when that kid's crucified, that's the one that you know is the one that I sent. That would have been easy, right? But instead what God says is trust me. That's the hardest part of the mystery. Kent Hughes defines mystery as this, as something beyond natural knowledge, but has been opened to us by divine revelation through the Holy Spirit. He also calls it a divine secret. God waited for the fullness of time to send his son, Jesus Christ into the world to make peace where there was no peace, to reconcile people that were opposed to one another because first and foremost, they were opposed to God. And God said, in these last days, I love the way the author of Hebrews says it, man. Long ago, in many portions, in many ways, God spoke to us through his prophets and in the writings. But now in these last days, he has spoken to us most definitely in one who is his son, so many of you are walking around asking the question, when will I hear a word from God? What is God trying to say to me? Everything God ever wanted to say, he said in Jesus Christ, his son. The mystery has been revealed. You wanna be blessed by God? You run to Jesus. You want to know the blessing of being part of God's family? You run to Jesus. You don't get there without being in Christ, in him, in his death, in his burial, in his resurrection, in trusting that he alone can offer you what God has promised for all time. But let's look at the nature of this mystery. Verse six gives us the nature of the mystery that's been revealed. He says there in verse six, to be specific that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now, this is where Paul starts kind of reiterating a little bit of where we've been over the last couple of weeks in Ephesians chapter two, as we looked at how we were once divided, but Christ Jesus broke down the barrier. He says first and foremost that the Gentiles, okay, real quick, just show of hands. Anybody in this room, ethnically Jewish, you have a Jewish family line that you can trace all the way back to Israel. Anybody? All right, so I see no hands. And in seeing no hands, we are the Gentiles. Gentile means not Jew, that's us. The gospel, Paul says in Romans chapter one, verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of salvation, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. We talked a couple of weeks ago about how the commonwealth of Israel, the people of Israel had these promises that God had made that the Messiah would come. It was delivered through Israel, through the Jews. So all of us who were Gentiles, we were by nature way out here weren't part of it. We weren't grafted in. The promise was made to the Jews, but it would affect us. And this is how it affected us. He says that we are fellow heirs of the family. Verse six, to be specific, this mystery, to be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs. They have an equal inheritance to the promise and the kingdom of God as the jews the chosen ones i don't know about you guys but i'm kind of grateful for that you know i I don't want to get to heaven one day and there would be like this jewish section like this jewish christian section and this like everybody else christian section right And, and over here in the jewish christian section it's kind of like first class on an airplane they close that curtain so you can't see what goes on in there you know, they're in there, they're eating steak and man, they're, they're drinking Dr. Pepper and, 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 and they're, man, they got Crystal Burgers over here and they got this burrito bar from Moe's set up over here. And man, it's, it's, man, it's, it's great. And then you get over here into the Gentile section, and they give you like military rations, you know, like add a squirt of water and it'll soften it up so you can chew on it a little bit. Oh, speaking of water, that's all you get to drink. And some of you are like, oh, I love water. Well, this, but. This is City of Atlanta water. It it didn't get put in one of these. It wasn't purified by reverse osmosis. If anybody can tell me what that means, I want to know. Because I could save myself a lot of money if I could figure out how to reverse osmote some things. You don't you don't you don't get a you don't get a bottle. You get a garden hose, a community garden hose. Everybody's mouth's been on the community garden hose. No, no, that's not what it is. We are fellow heirs. We have the same inheritance. We inherit the same glory of the same Christ and the same God. We are in the same presence of this one God. We're fellow heirs. There's not a roped off section. Remember, Jesus tore down the barrier, the dividing wall. Not only are we fellow heirs, we're fellow members of the body. See, see, the body is one of Paul's favorite analogies for the church and what makes up the church because he, he talks, we don't have a lot of time to go into it, and can't cover everything, but you can go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and he starts really breaking down the body and says, okay, so, so can my ear start saying, since I can't see anything, I'm just going to not be part of the body anymore? Or, or, or since my hands aren't used the same way as my feet? Now, look, this morning, you got up this morning. And I know all of our bodies are broken to some degree and we have aches and pains and things, but, but nobody got up this morning and went to get out of bed and that left foot said, no, I'm staying asleep. Now your foot might've been asleep, but it didn't stay in the bed. As being part of your body, you had control over it and you moved it over and you put it on the floor. It didn't say, no, I'm staying right here. Now you didn't, you didn't start eating breakfast this morning and your hands say, all right, I'm gonna get some bacon and eggs. You get that big fork full of eggs and your mouth say, uh-uh. You didn't hit yourself in the face with it. Because it's part of the same body. It moves together towards the same goal and towards the same end. Your, your body didn't say, left foot, I don't, it's not like the Twix commercials, left Twix and right Twix that don't get along with each other. Left foot, I don't like you because you're right foot. Right foot, I don't like, I don't, I don't like you because you're not here. Your body doesn't do that. Paul says that in Christ Jesus, we're grafted into this same body. We're members of this same body. So our goal should be to move forward together. Not leaving the foot behind, not leaving anything. Now I know there's an appendix that you don't need. And I understand um, apparently God put extra veins in your legs. So if you ever have to have bypass surgery, they go down there for spare parts and put them around your heart. I, I get that. But in the same body, we move together towards the same goal, which in the church is Christ-likeness. Regardless of where you're from, regardless of how you grew up, regardless of what school you went to, regardless of how much money is or is not in your checking account, regardless of if you, what kind of accent you speak with when you talk, we're members of the same body. And then he gives us kind of the the capitulation of everything we have in God. Look at this, this last phrase he uses. He says in verse six, not only fellow heirs and fellow members of the body, we are fellow partakers of the promise. We are fellow partakers of the promise. Now, some of you have probably been in an Episcopalian or a Catholic church setting when it's communion time. Now, Communion time and, and, and those church traditions, um, when it comes for, for time for the wine, for the, the, we're Baptists, so we use grape juice. Um, when it comes time for, for the blood element, you got one big old bowl and everybody takes a sip out of it. So if you got a little bit of a runny nose, you better hope that you go before, you know, you're not towards the end of the line. You want to be the first in line on communion day uh, in some of these churches. They're, they're, they're taking of the promise of the blood of Christ from the same cup as a demonstration of what happens to be a fellow partaker of the promise. Church, this is why the gospel is paramount to us today. There's not a separate gospel for white people and black people and Hispanic people and Asian people. There, there's not a separate gospel for rich people and poor people there's not a there's not a separate gospel for smart people and not as smart people there's not a a separate gospel for good-looking people and not so good looking people there is one gospel that offers one promise offers one truth and offers one salvation and when you said I want to follow Christ Jesus you weren't rabbit trailing over here you were running to the one gospel and you offered yourself on the on the altar of the one one hope that Christ Jesus was enough. And when you did so, you took the promise that God said, today you are my child. You weren't his child until you did that. You didn't have hope. You didn't have peace. You didn't have unity. You didn't have anything to look forward to until that day. Until that day, when you took the promise of God I love the way that George Klein says it. He says, all believers in Christ, whether Jew or Gentile, share equal status and equal benefits as members of the new body that transcend the former privileges, divisions, and boundaries. See, before Christ If you were a Jew and you followed the law and you went through the sacrificial system, you had a leg up on everybody else because your sacrifice, your offering, your your continued uh, uh, blood sacrifice, your continued meal sacrifice, your continued uh, following the law that's laid out in Leviticus was offered in hope of the Messiah to come. Now, everybody else didn't have that. They were offering this empty hope in Zeus and Dionysus and Ra and and Buddha and the Confucius and Taoism. Today it's still going on in Buddhism and Islam. It's still going on in Hinduism. It's still going on in Shintoism and Confucianism. It's still going on in atheism. Offering these sacrifices of life and a false faith that can't deliver. And because of that, because of that, you're outside of the promise of God. You've not taken the promise of God that he would be your God and we would be his people. So there's a boundary that's set up. But the moment you profess faith in Christ Jesus, you're casting that aside and now you're part of the true promise of God to save you. In spite of yourself, in spite of your sin, in spite of your wickedness, or the way the way John MacArthur says this, I, lo- I love his his wording. He says, "Being in Christ through acceptance of the gospel is what creates among believers their perfect and absolutely new society." Don't you think about that? It's a new society. It, it's not just you know, hey, I like Jesus. I'm gonna I'm gonna make Him Lord of my life. You're entering a new society. And he goes on and says, there, could never, there can never be true oneness apart from that reality. And there can never be practical unity in the church until Christians realize and live by the positional unity that we have in Christ, their one Lord and Savior. We've accepted the same promise and it is on us the ability and the responsibility to demonstrate that to the world which is why Paul goes on and says that this mystery must be proclaimed. This mystery that God would bless all nations, all people through the seed, the line of Abraham, that he would choose to adopt us. We didn't choose to enter his family. He chose that he would adopt us and he made the way possible for us to come to him in Christ. And in doing so, he says, there's an opportunity that you have to proclaim. Look what Paul says in verse seven. All this partaking of the promise in Christ Jesus is through the gospel of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God, grace, which was given to me according to the work of his power. To me, the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the ministry, uh, the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things. Now, I know what you're saying here. I'm not Paul. Evan, this passage of scripture is talking specifically about Paul and how Paul was called to preach the gospel. I'm not Paul, so I don't have to do that. Eh. Wrong. Paul is speaking specifically about his life, something that applies generally to all of us in faith faith in Christ. Notice he uses a specific word. He says that he was made a minister. You know what a minister is? It's a servant. It's a servant. He said, I, because of my faith in Christ Jesus, have entered into a servitude before God. I have entered into the service of the king. You remember that movie, The Santa Claus, that came out about 25 years ago? Had Tim Allen in it. Here's the basic way the movie goes. Tim Allen is a divorced father and he's trying to win the affection of his son, but he's been more consumed with work and everything else to really build a bond relationship with his son. Well, his son has to spend Christmas Eve night with dad. his son's not looking forward to it. But what happens that night is he reads his son the night before Christmas. And uh, in reading the night before Christmas, his son is kind of intrigued about this whole Santa Claus thing because his, his, fa- his, his stepdad is a psychologist and has taught him all this, you know, Santa Claus isn't real and all this stuff right there. And, and, mom and birth mom and birth dad, even though they're divorced, they're on different ends of the spectrum with what to do. Well, that night they hear a noise outside. And the son thinks, well, maybe that's Santa Claus. So he tells Tim Allen's character, why don't you go out there and check? He's like, yeah, I'm not, okay, fine, whatever. So he goes out there and checks and there's a man up on his roof and he's wearing this red suit. has this big white beard and he says, hey, buddy, what are you doing? And at that point, Santa Claus slips, slides down the roof and falls to the ground below of, under this two-story house. Kind of an accident, right? They're trying to figure out what to do. So Tim Allen doesn't believe this is actually Santa Claus. He thinks it's somebody breaking into houses dressed up on Christmas Eve looking like Santa Claus. So he reaches in and he finds this little business card. On this business card, it identifies this man as Santa Claus. Tim Allen turns around this way to talk to his son. And when he turns back, the suit's there, but the body's gone. And the son says, well, put the suit on, dad. We've got to figure, it. there's reindeer, there's a sleigh, there's all this stuff on the roof. And so the dad puts the suit on and gets on. And next thing he knows, he's flying all over town delivering presents like Santa Claus would. When he gets to the North Pole, he tries to say, look, I didn't sign up for this. This is not what I asked to do. I am a toy maker. I work for a toy making company. I don't want to be here. And the head elf, his name is Bernard, says, did you not read the clause? He said, well, yeah, the clause, the Santa Claus. No, the Santa Claus with an E. See, a clause is a part of a contract that is inserted in to make sure that the contract is valid and that all parties understand. And in this particular clause, it said, basically, if you put on the suit, you become Santa. If you put on the suit of Christ Jesus, you become a servant of the King. If you come to faith in Christ Jesus, if you come and kneel at the cross and say, I need the blood that was shed here to wash me, to forgive me, you have become a minister and a servant of the King. It's not just Paul that said, this is only for me. This is for all of us because of our positional faith in Christ Jesus. And so because of that, you and I have a couple of responsibilities. The first responsibility is to preach Jesus. To preach Jesus. We preach a lot of things. Our lives proclaim a lot of things. See, I know what you're thinking. Evan, if we're all preaching Jesus, what are you going to do? How will we ever get through church in just an hour to an hour and a half on Sunday if all of us are to get up? He's not saying get up here and be a pastor and stand up here and preach sermons. Everywhere you go, you have opportunities to point someone to Jesus Christ, to preach Jesus, to use your life as an opportunity to preach Jesus. See, it's not just about getting to Rome and using the highway system. It's about getting to Fairburn. It's about getting to Sonoy. It's about getting to Tyrone. It's about getting to College Park into East Point Point, into Union City. It's about getting to Palmetto and to Chattahoochee Hills. It's about getting into South Fulton and into Atlanta with the gospel of Jesus Christ that has transformed us to preach Jesus. See, the word preach there is, a simple word just means proclaim. Pro- proclaim. We've been doing a, a Wednesday night Bible study this, this spring I say like Bible study, it's, 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 a, it's an evangelism training. And the whole basis of it is to use your life and how God has uniquely gifted and equipped you to tell others about what Christ Jesus has done. It's not gonna look like standing up here with a coat and holding the Bible open and speaking to a crowd. Some people are deathly terrified of doing what I'm doing right now. I get that. It's about saying, hey, you're my neighbor. I just want you to know about the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. If we believe that Christ Jesus is truly the greatest thing that ever happened to us. The mystery has been revealed because it is to be proclaimed when we preach Jesus. But it's not just preach Jesus, it's reach everyone. That's the goal of preaching Jesus. We don't just kind of like walk through Walmart with like a, a megaphone and just like, Jesus, 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 Jesus. No, it's, it's for the goal of reaching people. Look what he says there. He says in this passage of scripture, he says, it was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of his power. So we word Gentiles is everyone who's not Jew. This is where we get the idea of reach everyone. All of those from all the nations that it is possible for us to reach. And he says there to bring to light, to help them see the power of Christ, to bring to enlightenment in their heart and their mind what it is that Christ Jesus has done. See, Paul asserts that, to, that he seeks to enlighten everyone that they may come to embrace the truth contained in this mystery. Of course, since enlightenment requires that those being to whom he is speaking would receive, i.e. believe in Christ, that which is being proclaimed, not everyone will be saved. But that doesn't stop us from reaching. It doesn't stop us from reaching. If you go to a doctor because you have an illness and the doctor looks at you and says, I refuse to treat you because I can't make everyone live. You would walk away from that doctor sad and hurt, right? If that doctor said, I know that there will be mishaps and failures in the practice of medicine, I can't treat you. Yet that is how too many followers of Christ approach evangelism and approach sharing the gospel and approach reaching people with the gospel. Well, not everybody's gonna get saved, so I just can't do it. We have the source of hope. Preach the gospel. Preach Jesus. Reach everyone. Why? Because we've got to see what this mystery means. Three quick things. Four quick things, sorry. First is verse 10. The church has a job. We are to bring to light, we are to preach Jesus and reach everyone so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known. Where? Through the church. Through the church, do you want to know why First Baptist Church of Fairburn sits right here on this corner of Malone and East Broad? Because Fairburn needs to know the power and the wisdom of God. We sit right here because across the street from us is a downtown area, a busy highway because behind us are houses and homes, because down this way there are homes, because this way there are businesses and homes, because there are neighborhoods that are being uh, consistently built right here in this area. We have been placed here not to say, let's have a comfortable place to get together and huddle up and talk about Jesus, but because this city needs to know the power and the wisdom of God. How does the city see it? Because of the transformation in our lives. Because we have a unity that is bridged by the gospel to where we see people from many nations, many backgrounds come together under the wisdom of God for the purpose of reaching this city. We've got a job to do. Not only do we have a job to do, our job is to make sure people know that God doesn't have a plan B. Look at what he says in verse 11. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Remember chapter one, before the foundation of the world, by love God predestined us for adoption as sons. How did he do that? Through sending his son, Jesus Christ. You know, Adam, didn't, Adam and Eve didn't catch God by surprise. It wasn't, you know, before the foundation of the world, God got together with, with, with Jesus, with the son and the Holy Spirit said, you know what? Let's create this perfect world and we're going to put two people in it. We're going to make them an RM. His there's going to be Adam. then there's going to be Eve, a man and a woman. And they're going to live perfectly forever. Oh, yeah, that sounds like a great pen. Let's do that. So, so, so God makes the world and puts Adam and Eve there in the garden. And then Eve eats that apple and gives it to Adam. I'm telling you what didn't happen. And God's like, oh, no, what are we going to do now? They've ruined everything. I didn't see this coming. How in the world do we fix this? We've got to go back to the drawing board and come up with another plan. No, what the plan was, was I'm going to make a world and there's going to be sin that's introduced, not because I'm creating sin, but because anything apart from me leads to sinfulness. And these people that I make in my image to enjoy me forever, to worship me, are going to have the capacity and the ability to choose to the contrary. And in doing so, they're going to issue in brokenness. But you know what? I've already solved it. I've already solved the brokenness. I've already made the plan for how I'm going to redeem. I've already promised that I'm going to send my son before he ever fell dead in that garden. Before Satan had the opportunity to tempt. Before Lucifer ever rose up against me in the heavens and brought a third of the angels with him. And before I ever cast them out, I'd already told him, here's the plan. We're going to make and we're going to send Jesus. God doesn't have a plan B. Your sin did not catch God by surprise. He chose that He would save you in spite of the fact that He knew you would sin because He knew you couldn't help it. Plan A I'm going to rescue people that I made in my image by the blood of my Son. He says in verse 12. All this is carried out in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access. Did you know that when you came to faith in Christ, if you're a Christian, I'm talking straight to you right now, because sometimes I believe we need to be reminded of this truth. We need to be reminded because the world doesn't want us to see it. The, the, the ancient lie of Satan is God doesn't love you. You can't trust God. That's the ancient lie that goes all the way back to Genesis chapter three. That's the exact lie they don't. You can't trust God. He doesn't love you. He doesn't want what's best for you. So I want you, to, I want you to look up here. If you're a Christian, I want you to hear this. I want you to hear it straight from scripture. You can go straight to God. You can go straight to God. You don't need me. I mean, don't fire me or anything. But you you don't need to come to me and say, Evan, I've got this problem. Can you talk to God about it for me? Evan, I'm struggling with hope. Man, I'd love to pray with you and walk with you. But you don't need me. You don't need anybody else because through Christ Jesus, you can go straight to God. Notice what he says there. He says, in Christ Jesus, through this gospel, we have boldness and confident access. Why? Because he's our father. We go straight to dad. And I I don't know what your, your dad relationship was. You might've had a really terrible dad and I apologize for that. I know I'm not your dad and I shouldn't have to, but I do apologize because one of the things that drives me is seeing men become better followers of Christ and therefore better husbands and better fathers, because fatherlessness is rampant in our society and we see the effects of it and the brokenness of it throughout every crevice of this world. But you can go to a true father boldly and confidently. Listen to the way to this is described. It says, Christians now possess a bold sense of courage in their relationship with God. They no longer cower in fear, nor are they any longer demoralized by their shameful pasts. Do you ever get called to the principal's office? I'm, I'm speaking for somebody else now. Um, just imagine you go to the principal's office because. I don't know. You were shooting lead pencil cartridges across the room at somebody and you poked somebody right in the cheek and it got stuck there and they were bleeding. Let's just say that happened that you did that or you know somebody that did. You got called the principal's office. You're not going to walk in there and be like, hey, what's up, P? Let's go. No, 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 no. You're going to be kind of thinking of every excuse for why you did what you did and how they started it and you're going to have all the shame of your action in front of you. And if you had a dad like my dad, you knew that whatever punishment you got at school, you got double when you got home. So when mom comes and picks you up at school because she got a call from the principal's office that you were shooting, I'm speaking for somebody else here, that you were shooting lead cartridges across the room and it got stuck in somebody's face um, and said, hey, we're gonna stop by your dad's office. That wasn't a trip to Dairy Queen. You weren't looking forward to it at all. See, sometimes I think we get in this consistent pattern of the enemy's lies that because we mess up consistently, God doesn't want to see us, that we've got to be afraid to go to God. I hear it all the time. I hear it nuanced many ways. Well, I need to clean myself up a little bit before I go to church. I need to get my life back in order before I I worship. I I need to do this. I, I need to do this. I need to take care of this. And I've got some things I've got to, no, that's the lie of Satan right there. If you're in Christ, you can go straight to God and say, I am your child, I need you because you're not gonna get cleaned up until you go to God you're not going to get cleaned up until you go to Christ. And many of us need to develop the pattern of continual life of repentance so that we can know that we stand justified, redeemed, and adopted before God our Father. And when we do that, we'll see that our service is not empty. What we do for God, what we do in the Kingdom order, what we do as ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ is not empty. Look at what Paul says in verse 13. I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf for they are for your glory. Paul saw everything that he was doing as a way to serve others as serving Christ. Even if it meant chains and imprisonment. Yeah, Paul probably had a few mistakes along the way. You know how I know he did? because he was a person just like I am. He was a person just like you are. Don't, don't pedestalize Paul or any other person in the Bible outside of Christ Jesus. Because every single one of them had doubts of faith, doubts of courage, doubts of the truth of the scripture because they were people just like you and me. And just because you can go and you can read in about 30 or 45 minutes, an hour, the book of Acts or a letter that one of these guys wrote to one of the churches and say, man, they've got everything together. That's just a very, very small picture. Look, we live in a Facebook world. Everybody puts their best pictures on Facebook. You don't put the pictures of the kids, the kids screaming and pulling each other's hair. And you, you get the perfect family photo. That's what you share on Facebook. That's how we have to look at the lives of people in the New Testament that they are putting forward because it's the Holy Scripture of God, what God has inspired for them to record and to write that this is who they are. But remember, Paul said, you know what? I'm a wretch. Go read, go read Romans chapter nine. Why do I do all the things that I don't want to do? Why do I struggle with this, but I don't do consistently that which I know I should? What a wretched man am I. But Paul saw that what I'm doing right now, as I'm bearing these chains, as I'm writing these letters, is for the glory of God in Christ Jesus so that the people in Ephesus can know how to walk with Christ Look at your life, wherever you are. If you're in Christ Jesus, everything that you do is not empty. It is a service before God to build others according to your common faith in Christ.